Welcome to the Top 5 Podcast with your hosts, Rail Bricker and Lindsay Adams. Hello and welcome. I'm Lindsay Adams and today my special guest is my podcast co-host, Rail Bricker. Welcome, Rail. Thank you, Lindsay. So, Rail, it's... Um, it's, it's really a delight to be able to interview you. We interview a lot of interesting people, but you're an interesting person, so you qualify as well. And today we're going to look at the top five tips for creating a rich and robust culture. Now, I know you've done a lot of work uh, interviewing uh, business owners and business leaders around the world in terms of culture, so I'm really looking forward to this. So what's tip number one? Thank you, Lindsay. So tip number one is that we all have to set up an ethics framework or an integrity framework. Now, now people are often scared off by the word ethics because it has all these legal and moral implications. But I'm always reminded when talking to people about ethics or integrity or drawing a line in the sand for a business that there's a, a famous quote from the book Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, weird title, by Robert Persick. And the book, in the book, he says that when you see an insane man, what you see is a reflection of your own belief that they're insane. Now, what does that mean in terms of ethics and integrity? It really means that if we, we have to define ethics and integrity by our own measure, not by someone external measure. I mean, you know, if you set your ethical target as we can kill employees, well, probably not acceptable in most Western societies. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 you know, what we would define or what a particular business would define as their level of ethics or integrity may vary between countries, across countries, across cultures. And, you know, we, we would think it's, it's abhorrent that the Maasai warriors tap blood from live animals and mix that with sour milk and drink it because it, it, it supposedly gives them strength. And, you know, when, when I tell that story and I'm standing on a stage, I see people shaking their heads and wanting to throw up a little bit on the side and thinking about it. I reckon, yep, I reckon. It, but it's, it's relative to the society. And so, so what it means is that every business, in order to create a rich and robust culture, has to define their ethics and with that the integrity of the business relative to the society and the environment in which they operate. So can, can we prescribe this stuff, though, in an organisation? I don't think we can prescribe it as much as, well, we can prescribe it to say these are acceptable behaviours. In other words, when dealing with a customer, these are acceptable things to say and don't, you know, the whole thing when we do sales training and, uh, you know, don't overpromise and underdeliver. Well, you know, when we define that, so using my financial services group, there are quite specific guidelines as to what you can and can't say to clients in financial when you're dealing with their mortgage. So you don't give them tax advice when dealing with their mortgage. That's drawing the line in the sand. Now, I know many finance brokers who do cross that line because they like to, to put themselves out there as this expert in all things. And so as an organization, I think we have to prescribe the minimum acceptable standard. And, and obviously, you'd like employees to be operating at a higher level. But I think we definitely, as an organization, define the minimum standard of ethics that we operate on and understand that everybody then has their own interpretation of that. And so it's something that gets refined over time. Okay. So then what's tip number two? 
So tip number two is visible leadership. And, and what that really means is that leaders in organizations need to be front and center. They need to be visible and that visibility goes back to their ethics and integrity as well. So, you know, you want, you, a few years ago in Australia, there were a number of banking institutions where, you know, a couple of board members were forced into resigning because their personal dealings and personal ethics and integrity didn't align with the visible leadership. And so, so that's where the, the, the two relate to each other. But being a visible leader is be, being someone who stands up there and reflects to some degree their own ambitions, their own views um, of where the organization should be going, and they are visible to the team members. So there isn't a double set of standards that says, I do this personally and I do this in business. That's the one part of visible leadership. And the other part is physically being seen. You know, uh, there was a concept that started in the late 70s in Japan um, and, and, and much more in Western countries in the 80s called management by walking around. And it goes back to that very, very simple basics of, you know, you don't want to see the boss in their ivory tower. You actually want the boss to be walking around the shop floor and greeting people. Now, sometimes it's going to be obviously because there's they they don't truly feel it, and that's possibly a problem. But my best times with my team are where I go and sit on their desk or on the floor next to their desk because we have beanbags in the office now, and we have a conversation. How are you? What's happening? I'm visibly there as a leader, just visibly available to talk to them at any time. And so it's just about, you know, the general in the army may not be in the front of the troops, but will always be visible to the troops, potentially standing on the hill and scanning the horizon for imminent danger from other directions, but is always visible to the troops. Okay. So, Rail, that's interesting. Uh, what's tip number three then in your top five for creating a rich and robust culture? So I think openness and, and that, are, you know, a lot of bosses say they have an open door policy. Now, that's very different to visibility. That is, that is a true open door policy where anybody can approach the leadership. Um, and even if they're skipping a few levels in the organization and that, I'm, I'm, I'm very much a, a person that prescribes um, flat organizational structures where you don't have 10 layers of, of depth, you have two or three, and everybody is visible at least one layer above themselves. So not their direct line report, but one above that. That openness from a management, from a C-suite, is, is exemplified by Microsoft. So the, the chief executive of Microsoft, 90,000 employees worldwide, once a month runs a town hall meeting using obviously one of their platforms. Microsoft Teams. Microsoft Teams, yes. <laughs> uh, before that was another platform. But, but runs, it's a piece of rubbish, but let's not go there. Okay. So, but, but runs a town hall meeting of an hour where the first half an hour is the chief executive briefing the team and it's open to all 90,000 employees who want to attend. Obviously, with time zone, some people get the recording afterwards. But... 
the, the chief executive explains what's going on in Microsoft for the first half an hour and then takes open questions from anyone in the organization for the next half an hour. They don't have to be pre-prepared or pre-vetted or anything like that. Any employee, but it, as there are some guidelines. It has to be relevant to the organization and not their personal circumstance. So not, oh, I've got Bill who's my, my line supervisor and he's bullying me. No, that's not what it is because there are channels for that. It is, as an organization, can you explain why are we doing X, Y, Z, um, whatever it may be. Yeah. And so yeah. that that's the openness. And, you know, even on a small organization, five, ten people, you want the boss to be the, like the second tip, which is visible, and then open. You want them to have an open door policy where you can put your head in and say, hey, boss, can I ask you something? And it then once it's in their office can be, I really don't know how to deal with my wife, brother, mother, father, sister, because I need personal advice. Or, you know, I've got a problem in the organization. My boss is bullying me. What do I do? And, you know, not. And, and so that openness creates an environment. And you've been at my offices in, in at a lunchtime on a Friday where we all sit around and have lunch together. There's an openness. There's a banter. But that openness starts with the leadership. Because if they're not open, if they're not open to to joking and and having jokes about them, then that doesn't flow down through the culture to create a culture of openness. And speaking of openness, the borders are finally open between West Australia and the rest of Australia. So maybe I'll come back and visit again. Yeah, one, one of day. these days we might actually, you know, get to share some things together. That'd be fun. Okay, so let's go on to tip number four, Braille. What's your top tip number four? So in my research where I've interviewed so far 85 companies in 25 countries, what I've found is that those with rich and robust cultures, and interestingly, of the 85 interviews, about 55 were from companies, from employees at companies that had rich and robust cultures. And the other 20 were people who wanted to trash the organization and tell me how bad and toxic the culture was, which was also very eye-opening in my interviews. But those 50-odd companies that had rich and robust cultures, majority of them had a, a set of values that was more than a piece of paper stuck on a wall. It was, it was values that um, the organization could, could truly feel that they were committed to. So, so a, a great example that showed me where organizations fell down was I've been on a school board for 20, over 20 years, and we had a meeting with a principal from another city um, who, who was telling us about the strategic planning and strategic, strategic um, uh, focus that their school had had and how they had come up with a set of values for the school. And we thought, wow, you know, that's, that's pretty intense. So we said to him, so I said to him, well, what are the values? And he turned around and said, just hang on a second. He reached into his wallet and said, oh, I've got them on a card in my wallet. And then I'll, you know, and he was the chief executive. He was the principal of the school. And I thought, there's a problem. Those values aren't shared. How do you communicate that to your team if you don't live them and embody them? And so, so the shared values, uh, the best examples I've seen have been Companies that have used, you know, five words or six words that have made up a, a, 
uh, an acronym or something like that, but six words that, or five words that everybody in the organization can embrace and wholeheartedly and don't have to um, look at a card in their wallet to go, oh, yeah, let me just tell you about the values. And so, you know, they all tie in together. All the ideas about rich and robust culture, I don't think any of them are, are a dominant idea. But when you get down to shared values, of the 85 companies, only two of them had the word fun, F-U-N, as one of their values. And that struck That's me. Interesting. That, you know, yeah. And both of them said, we want our team to have fun. You know, if you and 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 the, the one was not an Australian company from a country where the HR regime is a little bit more um, uh, open to just firing staff as opposed to you know a decent HR structure. But they said quite openly, if you're not having fun, don't work here. Okay, and I thought that that was remarkable that a company could go out, but and 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 create a culture where fun was part of the culture. And, and it's it was often we forget about that people actually spend eight hours of their day, you know, you know, 33% of their of their life at work. They need to actually enjoy what they're doing and have fun. And so I love that that was one of the values of those companies. But there are lots of other companies that have great value sets. It's about the leadership embracing that, living that, and that the whole team understand those values because at the end of the day values are what define the way the team relate to each other and that's what makes part of the rich and robust culture yeah i love it i love it okay well now uh, to close off tip number five so the tip number five is related to values which are this internal relationship between team members but having a purpose that's greater than the organization that defines the relationship between the organization and the outside world. And so uh, to share two of the 85 interviews that I did, the first was a, an organization out of South Africa um, and that had a, a, a three-word purpose statement that was practical, genius, delivered. And I thought that was amazing. And I told the CEO, wow. You know, everybody thinks they're part of this genius, you know, clan. And he said, yeah, but that wasn't what I meant. It was quite interesting. And, and, <laughs> and, 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 and he, I said, so how did you get to that? And he said, well, I saw too many, and this is a software business, software engineering, high tech, high, uh, you know, cutting edge stuff. And he said he saw too many organizations trying to develop clever things that were impractical and could never be delivered on time. And so he wanted to have practical genius delivered. I thought that was a fantastic um, way. And he got everybody in the organization to subscribe to that. Um, the other one was um, an organization in Australia that said, um, back the bold who move Australia forward. Back the bold who move Australia forward. And I thought about that. Because, you know, when I first related people like, oh, yeah, transport company and whatever, it was actually a banking organization. And bank. when I questioned them on what does it mean, they said, we have a history because we're a 150-year-old bank. We have a history of backing organizations in Australia that are bold, that are making bold moves to move ahead. And so we wanted to embrace that as our purpose of how we relate to the greater world to back the bold 
who move Australia forward. And, and I guess the, the, the purpose statement is truly embraced by a story of Kennedy when he visited NASA in 1962, long, you know, at the beginning of the space mission. And he saw a cleaner furiously cleaning a passage. And he walked up to him and he said, why are you furiously cleaning like that? Is it because I'm here as the president visiting? And he said, no, I didn't even realize that the president was visiting today. So he said, well, why are you doing that? And he said, because I'm part of the team getting a man on the moon. And wow. if, if the cleaner at NASA could embrace their view of the world as getting a man on the moon, then there's hope for every organization to create a purpose that's greater than the individuals and the organization itself. I love it. I love it. So then to wrap up, the top five tips for creating a rich and robust culture. Tip number one, have ethics and integrity. Tip number two, have a visible or leadership or be a visible leader. Tip number three, openness. Tip number four, shared values. And tip number five, create a common purpose greater than the organisation. Raul Bricker, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Lindsay.